You know, sometimes as we go through life, uh, people can do things, can say things that will at times uh, catch us off guard. You know what I'm talking about? For instance, there was this uh, one time there was this guy who on Valentine's evening, he was on his way to a romantic date with this woman, and he thought he'd stop by the KFC and pick up a bucket of chicken. Because nothing says love like a bucket of original recipe, right? Ain't that right? And so he goes in KFC, he picks up this bucket of chicken, then he heads to the park where he met his date, and he, they walked out there to a picnic dinner. But when they reached into the bucket of chicken, what they found was not chicken, but instead $9,000. It was the nightly deposit for the store, in fact. They'd been given the wrong bucket. And so they immediately hopped in the car, rode back to the KFC, found the manager, and attempted to return the money for a bucket of chicken. The manager was just in absolute awe that this man would do this. He thought, man, how could this man be so honest? We live in such a bad society nowadays, and here is this man who is the example of an integrity who would come back. And so he wanted to get this man's name. He wanted to call the news station so they could do a story. But the man refused. He said, no, I just want my bucket of chicken. The, the manager just was, was even more amazed. He thought, how, how amazing. This man is so humble. He wants to do the right thing and just slip away. He doesn't want any attention. He kept begging and begging for this man to, to give him his name, for, to, for him to be able to do something. He thought, man, this is something spectacular. But the man said, no. And he began to get a little agitated. He said, no, I just need my chicken and I would like to leave. So the manager said, sir, I just don't understand. We live in a dishonest world, and here you are, an honest man. And you will not let me give you this recognition for doing the right thing. At least tell me your name and tell me your wife's name. And that's when the man said, you see, that's the problem, sir. My wife is at home. My girlfriend is in the car. Now please just give me the bucket of chicken. <laughs> you know, there are other times in life where we see someone and we know they are genuine, both inside and out. For instance, many years ago when my wife Kim was still a kid, her mom and her sister took a trip over to their favorite Chinese takeout place in Bartlett. It's called Chang's House. They would go there quite often. In fact, it seemed like Kim said, Kim's mom said they used to get food there. Just about every week they would, they would take a takeout order from this place. But on this particular time that they went to Chang's House, they walked into the store and the owner of the store was at the register and he realized that he didn't have correct change to be able to give her the money back for what she was paying for. Now, his solution was simple. He left Kim's mom at the register answering the phones while he went to the ATM. Now, the only way he knew her was the fact that she was a regular customer. Didn't even know her name, but he instead just left her answering the phone. Now, you can imagine the surprise that someone would get calling the Chinese place and hearing this southern bell saying, Chang's house... <laughs> Would you like some fried, fried rice? You know, you can imagine. But, but you're talking about trust there. You're talking about knowing someone that you would, you would be able to place your whole business in their hands while you were into the ATM. This morning, we're going to talk about the topic of character. The topic of what it really means to be a follower of Christ in our hearts. And we're going to look at, toward the end of the message of how we can shape the character of the kids, of the grandkids that are in our lives and so in Deuteronomy chapter 6, let's start by discussing the heart of the matter. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. God spoke to Moses and told him to write this. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. 
Jesus repeated that command when he was asked, what is the greatest commandment? In Matthew chapter 22, 37, he said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. You ever stopped and thought about why the Bible seems to speak about the heart so much? Well, it's simple. It's because Christianity is truly a religion, a heart of faith. It is a religion of the heart. It is a matter of the heart. Consider what Jesus said in the greatest sermon ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 8, when he said this, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now, if you were to continue on in the Sermon on the Mount and read through Matthew 5, 6, and 7, you would, you would come back to this idea over and over. Jesus kept reiterating the importance of a heart that is right. For instance, he spoke of anger. He talks about how it is just as sinful to hate someone inwardly as it is to hurt them outwardly. He talked of lust and how it was just as sinful to look upon someone with impure eyes as it is to commit adultery. He talked about prayer and how the Lord is more interested in our hearts than in the words that we speak in prayer. He talked about giving and how if we're going to give and expect recognition out of it, then our heart is not right. Christianity is a matter of, a, of the heart. And I believe what he's referring to here is a heart, a character that is committed to following after Jesus Christ. God desires us to be right in character just as much as we are to be right in action. Now, unfortunately, we don't start with a good heart, do we? Romans, or I'm sorry, not Romans. Jeremiah 17, 9 says it like this. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? We hear that phrase thrown around all the time. You know, he just has a good heart. She's just a good person. But the truth is, biblically speaking, no one is good on their own. That apart from Jesus Christ, no one has a heart that is right. Yes, people might do good deeds. People might do nice things. They might give money to charities. They might help orphans. They might help the sick. Whatever it might be, but if their heart is not, has not been transformed by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, those good deeds will do nothing to fix that heart. I think about what God said in Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26, when he said, talking about the transformation that takes place in our hearts, he said this, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. And so to be clear, to transform in character begins... With faith in Christ. A faith that changes us. If you remember, I talked about the fact that knowledge produces faith, which transforms character. But let's look a little deeper at exactly what character is. If we had to define character, I think we could do so by, by this statement. Character is what we love, what we want, and what we choose. And this is what I mean, first of all, that character is what we love. First and foremost, when we, when, when we say that someone has a character that is following after Christ, it means this, that they love what Christ loves and they hate what 
he hates. Think about back to Deuteronomy 6 and Matthew 22. Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. And so God has called us to love what he loves. Not just to do righteousness, to live righteously, but to love righteousness. Not just to do the right thing, but to love the right thing. Even when it is an inconvenient. Even when it is painful. That we would love what God loves. And if we love what God loves, then that also means we will hate what God hates. And what does he hate? Sin. There are times and moments in every Christian's life, every believer's life, I think, where we see the effects of sin. And it ought to make us hate it. It ought to make us despise what sin has done to this world. I had one of those moments this past week. Um, we were at my parents' house to just finish supper. Uh, we were just about to go home. And, uh, you know, with all these weather changes, we have, y'all know what I'm talking about. The weather seems to be going up and down, up and down. One of my children, Will, he has a little bit of a touch of asthma. And so every time that this weather goes up and down, what happens is he catches a cold, and then he has to start these rounds of breathing treatments. And he endures it, but he hates it. He starts wheezing and all this stuff. He'll come in our room in the middle of the night and say, I need a breathing treatment. I can't breathe. Now, I can imagine what that feeling is like, but it's pretty horrible. And so here we are, Monday night. We're getting ready to go home. I'm sitting on the floor with Will putting his shoes on. And he looked up, me, up at me and he said, Dad, why did God make asthma? And I thought to myself, oh, my goodness. And I said, son, God didn't make asthma. It's because of sin. Well, why did God make sin? And so here it was on a school night at 8.30, and all of a sudden my son throws an intro to a deep theological discussion, and I'm looking at myself thinking, oh, my goodness, here we go. We then had a discussion on the, the fact that he was a sinner because he thought he wasn't, and I was like, oh, yeah, boy, you are, <laughs> let me tell you. No, but it's things like that, moments like that that make me hate sin even more, to see suffering. He didn't do anything to bring asthma upon himself. Is he a sinner? Yes. But it wasn't like he's been a chain smoker since he was a year old or anything like that. He just got it. And it makes me hate sin. And to think about what sin has done to our world. And so if we're a true in character, we ought to love what God loves and we ought to hate what God hates. And though that love ought to then affect what we want. Turn to Matthew chapter 6, verse 21. Let's look there very quickly. <clears throat> Those who have a Christ-like character, we begin to love what God wants, what God loves, and that ought to drive what we want out of this life. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, I think this is a test for us. I think this, this is a verse that we ought to Underline and remember, this is, this is a test of our heart. It says this, it says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Wherever your treasure is, that is where you will find your heart. The best way I heard this put was a man by the name of Henry Scogel said this. He said, The worth and excellency of a soul is to be measured by the object of its desires. That if we are wanting things that are earthly, or if we are wanting things that are worthless, that are 
that are going to eventually fade away, then I believe that reveals some deficiency in our character. But if what we want out of this life is godly, God-honoring, virtuous, then I believe it speaks to a maturity of our character. I think to Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, where it talks about how that we ought to think on whatever is true and honorable and just and, and pure and lovely and all those different things, that we ought to set our mind on those things. And you may think to yourself, well, that's talking about what we think about. But you know what? We think a lot about what we want, don't we? And so if we will set our minds on godly things and begin to want what God wants, then it will push our character towards Christ's likeness. <clears throat> and so we're loving what God loves. We want what God wants. And then we choose what God would choose. In Matthew 12, 34, Jesus said, Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Those things that we want will determine what we do in this life. It's like a bow and arrow. If you could imagine the target is what we love. How we aim is what we want. And when we release that arrow, we are choosing to head toward what we love. And that is, how, that is the, the way our life moves. It is as if the choices that we make are like an ultrasound of our heart. That we can see our, the condition of our spiritual heart by examining the choices that we make. And so to sum this up, we fall in love with something. And whatever that is becomes what we want. And what we want determines what we choose. And those who are pursuing Christ-likeness will want, will love, want, and choose what God desires. And so how do we, as parents, as grandparents, as aunts, and as uncles, how do we shape the character of our kids? I want to give you five quick words of advice, all right? The first one is this, is to parent from the Word with the Word. 2 Timothy chapter 3 says it like this. It says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I believe we can take that passage a couple of different ways. I believe, first of all, we can look at that in, in this situation and say that the Word of God is profitable for you as a parent or as a grandparent to be the guide that you use to raise your kid. That it is the roadmap that we should follow in raising our children. And then secondly, I think we can look at it and interpret it this way. The Word of God should be the primary tool that you use in training your child for righteousness. Now, it's easy to think about how you can use the Word of God when your kid does wrong. They do wrong, you sit down, you quote Scripture to them. But what I mean by saying that we parent with the Word by the Word is that to parent your child this way means that it ought to be what guides your steps and what is regularly coming out of your mouth. When your child does something right, you praise them with the Word. When your child has questions, you answer it from the Word. When your child does something wrong, you shepherd them with the Word. And even the way that we use Scripture matters. You see, we don't just throw verses at them in response to bad behavior. In fact, if that's the only time your kids hear the Word of God coming from your mouth, I believe they'll begin to resent it. Because they'll see it as a paddle only. As a rod instead of as a, a shepherd's hook that would pull us in the right direction. No, to, to use it properly, especially in those times when your kids do wrong, mean, 
means to take them aside, to share with them the principle from Scripture that they have, they have broken, to help them to see that they have not only offended you, but they have offended God. And then it's to lead them back to right relationship with you and God through repentance and prayer. You know, you've probably heard it said before that in the land of Israel, that shepherds were so known by their sheep that instead of driving them from behind, they would walk in front. And it was their voice that the sheep would follow. They knew their shepherd so well that he would simply call them by name and they would follow after him. We see to parent a child is to shepherd that child. We are shepherding their hearts to love Jesus. And so we don't stand behind them and drive them with the word as if it's a whip. Instead, we, we walk in front of them following the word and call them to love Jesus just as we do. Secondly, we ought to aim at the right target, and that target is heart transformation. I mean, what is the goal of raising a kid? That they would be happy? That they would be successful? That they would behave? Or is it that they would experience a trans, the transforming power of Jesus Christ and have a heart that's right? What is it really? You see, too often modern Christianity can slip into this mode of behavior management when it comes to kids. I just got to teach my kid to do right. But if we're not careful, we can end up teaching our children that the gospel is really just a gospel of sin management instead of a gospel of transformation. I mean, as long as little Johnny behaves, he must be okay. But he may be behaving on the outside, but where's his heart? Is his heart right? You see, a lot of parenting, even for Christians, can, we can be tempted to just simply follow secular behavioral theory rather than Scripture. And we can think to ourselves, well, I just need to use enough operant conditioning. I need to use enough negative consequences and positive reinforcement to get my kids to do right. But really and truly, I'm more interested in guiding my kids' heart. Because if I can get their heart in the right place, guess what happens? Behavior will follow. If I can get their heart to surrender to Jesus and to love Jesus, they'll follow in his footsteps. Now, this can be especially hard for dads, right? Because we're, we're, we're men, and we want to regulate. Our kids misbehave, and we want to come in, and we can get loud. And we can make them behave, right? But here's the danger. If all I do is convince my kid to behave because of some restraint I've put on him, but I don't guide him to a transformed heart, what happens when the restraint goes away? He rebels. He goes and does what, he, what his little sinful heart wants to do. That means when our children misbehave, we need to get to the heart of the matter and deal with the behavior, but also deal with the heart. Third thing I'll say is this, is that we need to remember that life is a classroom and class is always in session. Go back to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Let's look at verse 7. Right. After, after Moses wrote God's word and he said, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And in verse 6 he says that these commandments ought to be on our hearts. In verse 7 he says this. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you 
rise. If you think about what that verse says, there's a routine, right? It talks about when you sit in the house, when you're coming, when you're going, when you're laying down, when you're getting up. The idea here, not, Moses is not speaking specifically of only those actions. He's talking about extremes, right? When you're sitting, when you're going, when you're leaving, when you're coming. And what he, what that, that's, it's, a, it's a literary tool that basically includes everything in between. And so the idea is that, that Moses, God, through Moses, is saying, parents, you need to be discussing the principles of Scripture every moment, every day. That you are guiding them with this. That every single day we are engaged in what's called formative instructive instruction. We are, we are molding their hearts to love Jesus. We are molding and shaping their character, their actions, their thoughts, their behaviors by what we do, by what we put in front of them. And so every single moment is a teachable moment. Ephesians 6.4 says it like this. It says, do not, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Notice Paul says both there, discipline and instruction. I believe you you can't just have one or the other. You have to have both. You see, because if you instruct your kids without disciplining them, what happens? You get kids with no boundaries, right? I read a story this morning about a family who had th- this, this couple who had three kids, and they were raising them with no rules. And I thought to myself, let's check back in 10 years and see how that's gone. And so if you, if you don't have discipline, then you have kids who know no boundaries, and they go wild. But if you discipline your kids without ever instructing them, if all you ever do, the only time you ever step in as a parent is to to correct them, then you get kids who quit listening. You get kids who get hard. But instead, both are necessary. We praise them when they live by the word. We correct them when they get off course. We help them as as they try to make sense of what they see around them. And so all of life is a classroom, in a sense. And if all of life is a classroom, then class is always in session. Fourth quick tip is this. Keep control of yourself. Now let's go back to Ephesians 6, 4, and let's think about the first part of that verse. It said, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Paul's speaking specifically to fathers here. Do not provoke your children to anger. To anger. I mean, let's be honest in this moment. Kids can drive you crazy, can't they? If your kids are in the room with you right now, just look at them and say, you've driven me crazy before. <laughs> there have been times where Kim and I have, have sat back and we thought, oh my goodness, I don't know if we're going to make it through the day. We're just in survival mode. We lay down in bed at night we're like, okay, we didn't kill nobody. We're good. <laughs> we survived another day of parenthood. I mean, a lot of times they drive us crazy. They act without thinking. They just do things in a whim. You tell them what to do, they don't listen. Then you tell them again, and they still don't listen. And before you know it, you're, you're, you're screaming in, at the top of your lungs because they won't zip their jacket. <laughs> or maybe there's another scenario where your kids make you angry, and, and, and you, they misbehave again, and you think, man, how is it, why can't they just get it? And you've had enough, and you begin to lash back at them, and you begin to try to push their buttons because you want to just make them mad. Well, you know what this verse is all about? Control. Not control as in controlling our kids, but control as in controlling ourselves. 
Yeah, sometimes our, as parents, our kids can cause us to lose control. But we need to remember that we, parents, we parent as much by example as we do by what we say. Our kids need to see us set an example of Christ-likeness, even at the times in our lives when we seem to be losing it, just as much as they see it by the things that we say. Now, I'm not saying that we don't discipline. I'm not saying that we don't instruct. Remember, there is a balance there. But I'm saying that as parents, we have to avoid unholy anger. Because unholy anger on my part will never lead to holiness on my kid's part. It will never drive my kid to the feet of Jesus. To be angry and frustrated and to yell and to scream and to lose my control. Yeah, my kids are going to make me mad. And this verse is not about keeping them happy. Do not provoke your kids to anger. does not mean that we just have to keep them happy and, and try to pander to all their wants. No, the point is that we have to maintain control of ourselves and to guide them to the feet of Jesus so we can shepherd their heart in that moment. And then lastly, we need to balance grace with consequence. You know, the truth is we are loved by a merciful and gracious God, are we not? And, and I am so thankful for the mercy and grace of God that he did not take me out of this world before I came to know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. That I was able to experience the grace of God and to be saved by the Lord Jesus, to know that, that I already have eternal life now, that I am living with Jesus now, and then one day I'll be in heaven with him. And so as a parent, we have to learn to balance consequence with grace. We have a tremendous opportunity to teach our kids, to teach our grandkids about the grace of God by the way that we respond to their mistakes. Now, what I'm not saying here is that we don't address the problem. To not address the behavior is neglect. To be that parent that parents with no rules is neglect and enablement. And it's to allow a kid to remain in their immaturity. But offering grace means that we address the problem. We show that kid what they've done wrong. We help them see that they need to repent of their behavior. And then at the right times and the right moments, we offer forgiveness and mercy. This is God offered forgiveness and mercy to us. Now once again, there's a balance to be had. Because if we lean too heavily on consequence, and if we always drop the hammer then we can leave our kids feeling beaten down and discouraged. We can break their spirits. But if we lean too heavily on grace, then we can leave our kids thinking they can get away with more. And so we have to pray and ask God, because somewhere in the middle is that balance where we can help our kids to see that when they do something wrong, they're not just offending us, but they're offending a holy God. And that they need to be reined in. But at the same time, we can help them to see the grace and the mercy of God. I want to ask you to bow your heads, close your eyes for just a minute. I just want this morning to finish in a time of prayer. As we come to this time of invitation, I'd like you just to think for a moment about the, the kids that are in your life. Maybe it's your own children, regardless of what age they are. Your grandchildren, your nieces, your nephews, 
Those kids that you have the opportunity to shepherd in some way, shape, or form. And I want us just to pray for those kids right now. And to pray for ourselves. I want to encourage you first to pray for forgiveness where maybe you have failed in shepherding those kids. And I want to encourage you to pray for God to give you wisdom and how you can lead that kid to a heart, to a heart to be have a heart that loves our Lord and Savior. Pray that the Holy Spirit would give you the words to speak, would help you to know how to balance those those extremes of consequence and of grace of discipline and of instruction. And pray that each and every day He would give you encouragement. That God would lift up your hearts at those times whenever you feel like you've hit rock bottom. When you feel like you don't know how you're going to help your kid. When it seems like there's no hope for that grandkid. Pray that God would, would, would burden your heart to want to lift them up to Him every single day in prayer. And to lay down a trail of following after Jesus that one day that kid could follow. That today that kid could begin to follow. To live in front of them a life of holiness. Today in this room there might be some in this today that need to experience the mercy and grace of God themselves. Maybe you're here today and you have never prayed to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You've never given your heart to Him. You've never experienced the grace that He offers through the forgiveness of sin. You've never made Him the Lord of your life. Today, I would encourage you to do this. To admit to God that you are a sinner to admit that you have failed, that you have made mistakes in this life, and then in doing so, you have offended Him and you have separated yourself from Him. Then to believe that God sent Jesus Christ to pay the price for your sin and that He is the only way to the Father. And confess Jesus is your Lord and Savior, asking Him to forgive you of your sins and to guide your steps each and every day. come to this type of invitation. If you're here today and you have a decision that you need to make, whether that be a salvation decision, whether you need to come down and pray at the altar, whether you'd like to join our church, whatever it is, God, I pray that you would just be obedient to the Holy Spirit. Father, I pray as we come to this time and this moment, I ask that you would speak to our hearts, that you would turn us loose to obey you fully. God, I pray for each and every soul in this room, that they would be right with you and they would want to lead others to be right with you as well. Move in this time, and it's in Jesus' name. Amen. Won't you stand as we sing?